My first clinical rotation in nursing school in 1973 traumatically seeded my approach to health service. Assigned to a couple committed to natural childbirth with the father in the delivery room, unusual at that time and place, the mother had had a normal pregnancy. But she delivered a squalling baby with its cord wrapped tightly around its waist, normal from the waist up and withered from the waist down. Dad and green student, me, pushed to the wall in a daze with mom and babe stars of the show, the centers of attention. Filling a vacuum, I bonded with the distraught dad. He was supporting cast in that setting, nonetheless a patient in need. Since I recorded these conversations with Olivia, Ryan, Bill, and Terry Tomoff, I've realized that when I watch a movie or TV show, I pay particular attention to the supporting cast. Last night when I couldn't sleep, I watched Law and Order Criminal Intent. Vincent D'Onofrio needs Catherine Irby. Just like Stephen Colbert needs John Baptiste. And Hansel and Gretel need the witch. We all need supporting cast. Welcome to Health Hats, the podcast. I'm Danny Van Leeuwen, a two-legged cisgender old white man of privilege who knows a little about a lot of health care and a lot about very little. We will listen and learn about what it takes to adjust to life's realities in the awesome circus of health care. Let's make some sense of all of this. David Bourne, a fellow podcasting fellowship graduate, introduced me to the Tomoffs, Terry, Bill, Ryan, and Olivia. Terry Tomoff wrote a book, The Focused Fight. You can see details in the show notes. It's a story about hope and survival of one ordinary family and their community of support to bring a two-year-old through five cancers over 20 years, three times leukemia, and twice adult tongue cancer. The compelling story brings a fresh voice on strength, resilience, and coping strategies during an extraordinary medical journey. I read The Focused Fight, called Terry, and frankly, I felt reluctant to use my podcast to hawk her book. Make no mistake, The book is gripping, well-written, unusual, and informative. Read it. I highly recommend you read it. But read the book. A conversation about the book would be a pale replica. Unsatisfying. So as we spoke, memories of my first childbirth experience flash back. Major health issues are a family affair. The patient is the star but the supporting characters are patients too. I found that a story to reveal the supporting cast would add to the book. In these episodes, Sister Olivia and the supportive families and communities, they are the stars.
Let's start with the Tomoffs introducing themselves. Hi, my name is Olivia Tomoff. It's nice to meet you. If I am giving additional information about myself, I would say I live in Washington, D.C. I went to James Madison University and yeah. Okay, great. So your your claim to fame, as far as famous to me, is that you're the, the sister of a brother who has had many go-rounds with cancer. I'm just really curious about your first memory of that. My first memory of Ryan with cancer. I do not have very too many memories from before cancer. I would say some of my first memories are a wooden train that was on C53 at Georgetown that we used to ride in before we would go to his hospital room or being in the clinic with and doing art therapy being very young and that was for many years but I definitely have memories of obviously in today's age hand washing is very important to everyone but that was something that was like knocked into my head from a very young age. Hi, my name is Terry Tomoff and I am a quilter and a now brand new author and I love to travel and I love photography and I love the color fuchsia. <laughs> color fuchsia. I like that. I Dark like that. pink. How yeah. about you, Bill? All right. I'm Bill Tomoff, Terry and I have been uh, married coming up on 30 four years next next month and we've had quite a journey together lots of joy lots of difficult times but my career and my family are my greatest loves and i have a lot of hobbies like technology and now reading a lot and writing and just i enjoy social media i enjoy yeah. bringing value to others Hello, my name is Ryan Tomoff. It's great to be here. I appreciate you listening to myself and my story. Okay. And you have quite a story. You're what I think you told me you're 26, 27? 26, 27 in August. We're different. That's normal. First Olivia, then Ryan. How did it, it it come into your consciousness hanging out with other people that this was different? Because when you're a kid, when you're that young, life is normal. Whatever it is you do, life is normal. And then you comes a point where you start, there's more of other. So I would say that my many of my friends who also had siblings, they hung out with their siblings at home. And I also hung out with Ryan at home, but I also went to the hospital to hang out with him. So I think that's mm -hmm. where the differentiator was. They're going back home after school and I'm going elsewhere so that I could be with my brother or with my family altogether. Right. So was there ever a point where it was like, Oh my God, enough already. I, I, I wish I was a queen for a day and I could wave a magic wand and he was just better and life would be more like 
what I think my friend's life is? I would say yes, but also because it was from the age of four on in my own life, I didn't know any different. So it wasn't other than the reprieves, I guess, from cancer treatment, obviously he was diagnosed and then in remission and then relapsed. So the periods of remission, definitely, I was like, well, I hope this just sticks because I get to have everyone at home and right, we, right, right. there's less back and forth and whatnot. But because I didn't know any different, I don't think that there was a, I hope that, you know, this, oh, I guess I hoped that it, it didn't happen so many times, but it just is what was yeah. what it was. You've spent a god awful amount of that time in the hospital. Too much time, yeah. And so now you're not. So that's great. One of the things that that interested me about your story is that it's a family story. That even though you're the star of the show, you're not the only actor in the play, right? There's a whole group of people. And you've been dealing with this stuff for a generation. 20 years is a generation. What was going on when you first realized, oh, goodness, this is not, everybody's not dealing with what I'm dealing with. Like, when did that enter your consciousness? Probably when I started school, kindergarten pre-k just not being not being at the school and so kids wonder oh, why is he not here is he skipping school and at that time you don't know what's going on but you're in the hospital and you have cancer but you don't know like the deep down and everything that comes with it and that's when i realized okay this is you know different and most of the kids in the school don't deal with it but it just hit me you know probably when i was four or five that it's okay to be different but you're looked at like the weird kid. Was there a point then where there were, like you started discovering that there were kids who not necessarily they had experienced what you experienced, but compared to other kids, they got it more than others? There are people that appear that have more empathy or more understanding or are better listeners or are more curious than others. So how did you first start experiencing that there were people who were interested, curious, had some background of experience that they could relate to you? Yeah, so I think most of it was hospital-related. You know, people in the hospital, they see this firsthand, especially in the, you know, C-500 or the cancer. But outside of that, it's few and far between. You're everyday people. You have a puffy face, and you're short. Uh, you have no hair, and you're looked at, what is wrong with this kid? And you, you get weird looks. Your parents get weird looks. And it, it's rough, but you have to, you know, mentally get over it and yeah i think that was my big thing it was just like people don't know what you're going through so it's hard to explain to them because they don't understand it when you were in the hospital like i'm making an assumption and you can just correct me if i'm wrong but a lot of the time you're in the hospital 
you're really sick and it's just about you. Like your brain is minute to minute, the medical routine, whatever. But it would seem that every once in a while, you must have become aware that there were other kids in the unit that were experiencing whatever they were experiencing in the same unit. And they had families. Can you like remember when you might have begun to compare your family to their family? I don't think I ever compared families only because my family was the main priority. And, you know, their priority was obviously saving their child. Yeah. And so I, I couldn't really think of other families. My only thing I was thinking of was, am I going to see tomorrow and keep me busy by playing video games? And that was about it. Say that again. I keep me busy by playing video games. Oh, oh, for you. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And were you always in a room by yourself or were you in a room with other kids? I was always in an isolated room. Oh, okay. Um, Maybe if I was getting blood or had to be on the floor, I was with a like a double room, uh, but that was few and far between. Few and far between. Okay. Disasters can make or break a family. I'm fascinated by the mystery of spiritual health. The Tomhoff spiritual strength stands out. How else could they survive together? You can learn more of the details in the book. I asked all four about their spiritual health during their trials. First Terry, then Bill, Ryan, and finally Olivia. I think I'll start off with that. Our world was full of uncertainty and ambiguity, and it still continues, I think, a little bit today. And we navigated our journey together, mostly as a team. And that included the spirituality of the team, the mental capacity of the team, and the physical journey of our team. And I think my spirituality was not so much in the religious, what religion I practiced, but the spirituality that was deep in my soul that made me even more spiritual as the time went on. And I felt closer to God, if you will, and navigating the uncharted waters that our son was going through time and time again. And the mental piece, too, of that would include Ryan showing his resilience at an early age, at the age of three, when he would have the same exact bacterial infection as a kid in the next room over, and that child passed away during the night, but that kid hung on. I've never seen anything like it. So his mental capacity was so strong, and I learned from him. If he could be so strong as a three-year-old, I certainly could get through anything. So he was my teacher. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the physical part for me was if I could run or walk, and we were running in the, those days as much as I can, because it was not for that running for me was, yes, the byproduct, it was the health of my body, but more it was for my mental capacity, mm -hmm. really. Yeah, I, I will say that, and Terry and I both uh, had a lot of conversations along the way. And when you talk about spiritual, again, our lives were, there was no organization 
other than we had to get to the hospital, do whatever had to happen. There was a part of us that just said, we have to believe this is going to work out the way it's supposed to work out. We signed the protocol for Ryan and be really putting yourself in the hands of other professionals and Mm -hmm. at a different level, you desperately just want to believe whether that's God. And if you're praying to something, I would not pray for an outcome. I would pray for the nurses, the doctors, our health and the mental like Terry said, it was, we were balancing with Olivia. She brought some normalcy to our life, but it was often separate. Mm-hmm. One of us was with her. The other was with Ryan. And just day by day, we held it together. Dr. Shad, social workers at the hospital, we came to realize they were keeping an eye on us as well mm-hmm. as Ryan to make sure that, that we were okay. I had conversations with Dr. Shad that I can't like what do we do if people just say, I can't do this anymore? Mm -hmm. So it got pretty intense and we took it day by day. I think I've been a lot closer uh, to the man upstairs. I went to a Catholic high school when I was 16, 17. I was in high school and for me, it was just getting closer and expressing my thoughts. And I still pray every night. And so it's, you know, thank him for good health and everything that I have today because it's not easy to get to where I am. So I think to me, I would agree. I think to me, spiritual health goes past the formalized religion. Oh, yeah, yeah. Faith, yeah. Like areas from my perspective, and I think my parents would agree, being cautiously optimistic and focusing on giving back and, and volunteering and the idea of community or belonging to yeah. X, Y, and Z are all facets of your spiritual health, which is something that along with the power of prayer and good thoughts and healing thoughts mm-hmm. from all yeah. over, like my mom always says, it's not about who you pray to or what, or just that you consciously think positive thoughts and gratitude, whatever yeah. that means to you. Yeah. So I think that those pillars were instilled. I don't know if they, if it would have been instilled so strongly had this not been our journey. I have, I don't yeah. know how they planned to parent before this was graciously yeah. bestowed upon them, or however you want to, yes, <laughs> however yes. you want to say it. But I do think that all of those things then enable you to be more mentally fit in order to then say to me, being mentally fit at least in our family or it is, I'm sure you've heard this when you talked to them before, but the idea of taking it one day at a time is that is it. Now a word about our sponsor, a bridge. Use a bridge to record your doctor visit. Push the big pink button and record the conversation. Read the transcript or listen to clips when you get home. Check out the app at abridge.com. A-B-R-I-D-G-E dot com. Or download it on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Record your healthcare conversations. Let me know how it went. A 
A friend once described the experience of living with someone with chronic illness as a study in intimacy. Wearing your life, emotions, hopes, and fears on your sleeve. My mom, on the other hand, described it as pillow, pills, poop, and piss. I just love that. How did the Tomoffs deal with intimacy and boundaries? Olivia said it's like being a local celebrity, but not in a good way. I think of it like winning a lottery you didn't buy a ticket for. A family is a unit, and it's not like there's a fence or a skin to protect you. I asked Terry and Bill to reflect on that. I'll start that. And I feel like it was almost like when you're having a baby, you, you all bets are off. You have to just get through it. I feel it was very similar dealing with a child with cancer in a hospital for as long as we did. I think we came to love our staff. We became to trust our nurses and our and, and the attending physicians. And that in itself catapulted us to where we needed to be each day. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a huge component of how we were able to get through those boundaries or the fences or whatever you said to help us with those critical decisions that we had to make because we were relying on them and their medical expertise and the nurses for their love and nurturing mm-hmm. on a daily basis. And some, most of the hospitals try to use continuity of care. So if you had that nurse on a Monday and she was off Tuesday, Wednesday, we had Thursday, Fridays, whatever. Mm -hmm. And that really was a really good rhythm to be into Mm -hmm. that it helped as families, not only us, but I noticed that on the the rest of the floor too. When you have those same nurses that you just know, they know you intimately, you get to know them. You get to know about their families Mm -hmm. too, because we can't just be talking about what's going on right there. We bring that out. And I think that was such a a light in that dark tunnel for us for so long. Uh How about you, Bill? Danny, that's a very interesting uh, question. And Terry and I were, I've changed a little bit, I think, but I'm a a very introverted person and privacy and I, I can handle this. And this was my life, okay, prior to Ryan's diagnosis. So when the story first we're deciding whether to let it be told in the community. It was my insides were turning out and I'm worried about Ryan. And now we got this that's going to be happening. And it was brutal to deal with it. I will say that, and Terry and I have talked a lot about post-traumatic growth. I'll do anything I can now to help share a message. And I'm, it's genuine, but I have no problem getting up and crying in front of a crowd. And People really do care, and when you're vulnerable, it feels like you, it's not how you're supposed to be. But people, like Terry said, especially at the hospitals, they care. They really mm-hmm. care. People just feel a different connection over time. So mm-hmm. it helped to open up as difficult as it was. It was, but it helped tremendously, and we would advise anyone to go and share your story. A few months after I was diagnosed with MS, I shared stories with my fellow pathologically optimistic friend, Paulette, who had her own health challenges. We realized we had to take the time to freak out. Optimism 24-7 doesn't cut it. 
I looked over all the years. The Tomoffs had strengths. They persevered. They worked together. But they're human. In the normal ups and downs of everything, there must have been times when they freaked out. I'm just like, oh my God, how did they give each other space to do that and support each other? We'll hear from Bill, Terry, and then Ryan. You look back and you wonder, honestly, you wonder how we did it. And I wonder, I'm sure Terry wonders when we were going through it. I can tell you there were days where I was at work and I just go to the restroom and lose it for a second. Because there were times you're asking yourself, how can this be? And okay, what's next? I can remember and Terry and I talking before going to transplant. Mm -hmm. And we were trying to pick the institution and we had some insurance challenges. And it was, I don't know what, we don't know what to do. We have to make a choice. And none of them are what we want to do, but we have Mm -hmm. to make a choice. So we talked a lot, but we Mm -hmm. also dealt differently with things internally. Mm -hmm. And so I'll follow up on that. I I think there was a lot of times I faked it until I could make it (laughs) because I really think that was uh, something that I needed to do because again, both of our children in different capacities were watching both of us like a hawk. Mm-hmm. Ryan was watching me every move I made. Anytime a doctor says something, a resident, a nurse, he's looking at for he's looking to me for my reaction mm-hmm. instead of the opposite. The fact about freaking out, yes, it definitely happened. Most of the time, either I was able to cry myself to sleep, so I was already down on my air mattress mm-hmm. and he couldn't see because he was up higher and that was <laughs> down low, or I went to the restroom. And most of them at my crying, when I did do the crying, because I didn't needed to release that pent up, mm-hmm. I was in the shower. The showers <laughs> were just wonderful because I can let the tears flow and it was all part of the shower. Mm-hmm. And that was just a huge release for me. So yeah. I can get out of that shower. I can put on a set of clean clothes and I can fight with him for that day. Yeah. yeah. And I think that was just a wonderful thing for me to do that. And I would also say our social workers were just unbelievable and they let me cry and carry on when I needed it most. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes my anxiety was off the charts because people didn't know what to say to us or me personally. And so I had to learn how to approach them and say, hello, my name is, and, and if they didn't know me or if, even if they did know me, I know this is really hard for you to say anything to me. I gave them that out yeah. first. Yeah. I had to learn that it was through time. I learned how to deal with that because our case was so out there and so far away from even the kids that were in the hospital with us. Yeah. So I was able to approach that a little bit differently. That was a big learning curve, but it was definitely well worth it. Yeah, I do. I think for me, freaking out was not an option. Okay. Self, yes. Freaking out internally, yes. But showing yeah. the emotions of freaking out, I don't think was an option. It would scare my parents to death. Yeah. If that happened, and they'd be like, "What's wrong?" and yeah. my answers immediately, which for me it was like, "Let me freak out by myself right. and get up. Let me scream. Let me yell. Yeah. I'm going through this internally, and my body has my body just has to fight it." A couple of years ago, I did a series about young adults who had complex conditions, transitioning from pediatric to adult medical care. I talked to a young adult or someone who had been a young adult, and a parent of theirs, and then the two together. 
Both the kid and the parent changed over the years. When a child sees adulthood and starts to assert themselves, they know more about what they want, and they begin to approach the world differently than their parents. The Tomoffs experienced their challenges over a generation as infants, toddlers, teenagers, and young adults. How did that experience change over time? First Bill, then Terry. So I would say, and this is one of the blessings that Ryan has. So Ryan still lives with us and Mm -hmm. he's a fine young man, can't work full time, but he's got his interests and he's maturing. He has two years ago, he would do things and we'd say, that's about where Olivia was when she was 16. Mm -hmm. So he's developmentally not there, but we've seen him take strides on his own to really develop But as far as his care goes, he really, and he does it in a quiet way, but he really leans on us to help guide the process. And he he loves Terry or mostly Terry, but one of us to be with him to help the conversations, to help understand, to keep it all on track. Mm -hmm. So he's very much a partner, allowing Mm -hmm. us to partner with him, even though he's 26. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think Olivia, she's matured into a fine young woman who's out working, and we're just blessed to see what she's Mm -hmm. done. But again, for both of them, we wonder what went through their heads at different times. Mm -hmm. It's We just can't imagine. Yeah. I'm going to add to that, too. And I want to go back to the earlier comments that were made, and I didn't get a chance to say this, but I do want to say this, that vulnerability allow the deep connections for our family to move forward. If it wasn't for that vulnerability and not even taking ourselves seriously, even though the disease and everything else was seriously, I think that helped and deepen those connections. And people want to help people that they have a deep connection to. Mm-hmm. I feel like we felt that and we got that from the dog, the doctors to the dog walkers, as I mm-hmm. say, because I think it took just this village for everything mm. to come together and for us. Now, when the kids were growing up and the different, of course, it was almost a generation, as you say, Danny, mm-hmm. I think we were always honest with them. We never sugarcoated anything, no matter how difficult the conversations were. And we told them, and mostly age-appropriately, mm-hmm. at their ages, how we can deal with things and how we're going to deal with as a family. And they trusted us. So not only that vulnerability helped us with the deep connections in our community and the world at large, but it also gave us that vulnerability with our own children for them to trust us implicitly and deeply. Mm-hmm. Because you can never, you, that's not, that's, there's no price tag on that. And so I think that trust, that just total bond, a trust above and beyond the normal family unit, I would think, because we had to. We were forced into it Mm -hmm. day after day, minute after minute. And I think that's what catapulted us. And we're a very close family, Mm -hmm. I think, because of that. And that helps us all achieve what we're achieving today. I don't think we would have had that if we did something differently I think what we did, even though we didn't know what we were doing back then, 20 years ago, but that helped these kids do what they're doing today. So I'm so thrilled. You see the buttons popping off my shirt here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. So I'm trying to go with this. The, I think this being straight with each other, even when it's difficult, I'm remembering 
when my, my son had a girlfriend and we partnered with her parents in a lot of what we did in terms of care. And sometimes they would get pretty upset, especially with me, because I, I was close with her mom. And so we would talk and strategize. And sometimes they would get, you're sharing stuff that it's ours to tell, not yours to tell. And what was good to me is we had that out. Not like we had a fist fight or anything, but it was like part of when you say being vulnerable. Being vulnerable a lot is we're doing the best we can. This isn't working. We're going to have to do something different as a family. And it might just be like a, a one degree shift to the right. It's not like being totally different. It's like being a little more sensitive about this and whatever. And I think you're right that because you can't avoid that. There's no playbook. We had those moments too, Danny. I took a slightly different twist with Olivia. Certainly, her mom's attention was hugely on Ryan. Her dad's attention was a lot on Ryan. Olivia could have gone the route of, oh my God, Ryan got so much attention and I'm entitled to some of it. How did that play for her? I think that's probably, that has evolved tremendously through being 4, 8, 12, yeah. and then 24 or whatever, 23 maybe. But regardless, being in my youth and then being out of through college and working were was very different. I imagine probably at four and six, I was, why do I not necessarily have the attention? But I do think that my parents did a very good job of being forthcoming with information of what was happening with Ryan. And mm -hmm. that was like, of course, he was also forced to grow up long before he should have but same because I think certain emotional or feelings that probably your average 10 year old doesn't like try yeah. to even understand was something that I had to just work yeah. on myself my parents might disagree but I do not think that I necessarily acted out to get attention, which is something that obviously is a worry that for, for me, it was more just, okay, I'm going to play soccer. I'm going to do my schoolwork. I'm going to be yeah. just not a problem, hopefully. One day in fourth grade, the teacher asked for a volunteer to carry this metal box, a speaker, from class to class. I raised my hand. All I had to do was plug the box into a phone socket. There was a kid at home on the other end. I became the carry the box from class to class guy, and Henrietta joined the class. I had no idea about her or her story. I just carried around a box and said hello and goodbye. After a couple of months, I received an invitation to her house. 
wheelchair-bound, short, moon-faced, in hindsight, perhaps she had cerebral palsy. We became friends. She starred. I was supporting cast. We'll continue this conversation with the Tomoffs next week. Honor the supporting cast. Help the helpers. Thanks to Kayla Nelson, web and social media coach, and Joey Van Leeuwen, musician and arranger. See the show notes, previous podcasts, and other resources through my website, www.health-hats.com. Please subscribe and contribute. If you like it, share it. Thanks. See you around the block.